If you've journeyed with the church at all, you have probably heard somebody um, that you've talked across the table to who has been turned off by the church talk about maybe something Gandhi has said. And uh, as somebody who, who tries to figure out, okay, why are people attracted to the person of Gandhi and checking things out, and, and, and granted, I have heard much about him, but depending on which cultures that I'm journeying with. And so, uh, but in his autobiography, he talks about his interest in the Gospels and Jesus, personally. Um, because, and, and one of the reasons he had such an interest in Jesus and in the Gospels is because he says that Christianity seemed to offer a very real solution to the caste system that was dividing the people of his day. One of the reasons he found this attractive was, was for that reason. And so um, the story goes that he actually came to a church to talk to a minister about the Gospels, about what salvation, about enlightenment, all of these different thoughts that he was walking with coming from a Hindu background. And he, would, he tried to go to the church, and the ushers removed him and said, this is for upper class and white people only. Go worship with your people. And the, 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 the remainder of the story is, is him saying, ultimately, if Christians have caste differences also, he said to himself, I might as well remain a Hindu. Again, these are stories and kind of points in, in time that you kind of want to gather and you want to read about. And... and and know the whole story. But for him to suggest that, there's truth to it. Like whether or not it went down exactly as that is recorded, but there is truth to what he is saying. Personally, I've always struggled with the picture that the church has been content with in an us versus them mentality or a those people mentality. The church has in some respects been content with that walking. With that, and I have been, I've been frustrated by it because I'm like, is that, is that who we're supposed to be? Is that what we're supposed to be? Is that how we're supposed to journey with people? And I've seen it come from all sides. I've seen it come from traditional churches. I've seen it come from contemporary churches. I've seen it come from churches with white hairs and churches with blue jeans and tattoos, all saying out loud one way or another, we don't do it like those people. Every age group. And if you're in this room going, I can't wait for someone else to hear this, you're defeating the point. You're actually walking in the those people mentality. See how easy that was? It's quick, right? Because you probably came with pictures in your mind about someone that I just described. Rather than going, maybe this is for me. That's how quickly we can turn. Conservative, liberal, Democrat, Republican, Arminian, Calvinist, rich, poor, gay, straight, single, married, black, white. All these titles can find themselves before the word Christian. Do you know that? Like we can make a long list that comes before Christ. Like we will take ideas and philosophies and, and, and thoughts and say, this defines me, da, 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 Christian. And I'm here to tell you, the longer the list of behaviors or preferences, the higher the wall will be. The higher the wall you will build between someone who calls themselves a Christ follower as well. Are you traditional? Are you contemporary? Are you gospel? Are you social justice? Are you affirming? Or are you judgy? The list goes on and on. 
Ultimately, it says, if you don't fit in this box, then I'm not sure we can be friends. Is this how we're supposed to walk as the church, is my question. Is this how Jesus walked, is my question. And I want everyone to hear me. This is not an old school church mentality. This exists in the new school as well. See, the Pharisees' heart, the heart that is hard towards other people who look and talk and act and walk different than me, is alive and well in a 20-something's heart. It's because the Pharisees' heart, the sinful heart, the prideful heart, doesn't care about age. It's how we do things. It's how we walk. I've seen it in this generation, crying and demanding uniformity, not unity. You will walk, talk, think, and act like me, or you're outside. Shamed for thinking one way versus another. Made fun of, mocked, categorized with extreme groups because maybe you differ in your view about one thing or another. It's all coming to mind. A Huffington Post reader has just as much of a chance to be swayed into the Pharisee way of thinking as the nightly news watcher. Most of my generation doesn't watch the nightly news. We all get our news from Twitter. So. We as the church have struggled with these thoughts. Sameness is safe. Finding a church where everyone thinks, talks, acts, and dresses like me is safe. Okay, you get Jesus, but where do you stand on this, 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 and this? Because that's how I'm going to decide where I belong. I see it happen all the time. And I believe it causes walls, and I believe it actually can halt the work of the multi-generational church being the body of Christ. Was I meant to put anything before Christian? Was I meant to describe myself as a liberal, democratic, affirming Christian? Or am I supposed to be defined as a conservative, straight, Republican Christian? Christ being last in that line, of course. Is this the way we were meant to walk as the church? The mistake we make here is putting ahead of who we believe what we believe. The mistake that we are making is saying what we believe is way more important than who we believe. A Christ follower is not firstly defined by what they believe. If the scripture is God's revealing of his plan, his rescue, his son, Jesus has said he is, that firstly, a Christian is set apart by who we believe. Granted, this will inform what we believe. But firstly, who we believe, Jesus, is everything. When Jesus and his disciples were walking around, Jesus just pops this question on his disciples. He says, hey, so what has the crowd been saying about me? I bet there was an awkward silence. I bet people were like, oh man, I don't want to tell him. I don't want to tell Jesus what people are saying about him. I don't want to say. And Jesus is like, I'm a big boy, guys. I can handle it. Just tell me what people are saying about me. Well, they think you're a prophet. They think you're John the Baptist. 
They think you're this guy that's returned and maybe you're him or maybe you're this guy and maybe you're this guy. And, and Jesus is like, that's cool, that's cool, that's cool, that's cool, that's cool, that's cool, 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 cool. Who do you say that I am? And I love that Matthew 16 records for us Simon Peter's answer. Simon Peter answers, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. I find it interesting that Jesus didn't ask them, hey, what are folks saying about my policies on the kingdom of heaven? You know, how are people responding to me saying you've got to love your neighbor? How are people responding to me saying to look at a woman with lust in your heart is the same thing as sleeping with her? How are they, how are they handling that? No, he went straight for it and he said, who do they say that I am? Because who we say he is changes everything. This is what we are firstly united around as the church. Luke 18 Jesus opens with a story of persistent prayer, and he, he, he begins to point to our view of God, firstly, and then our desperate need for him, and then he tells another story designed to be heard by a certain group of people. Luke 18, starting in verse 9, then Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. Let's just stop here. You can drop the scripture off the screen. Because I know you may have taken this to the extreme of someone else. You have. You might have gone, well, the reason we're at Highland is because we don't think like that. You just scorn somebody, man. It's how quickly it works, right? Putting confidence in your own righteousness, com confidence comes from the phrase confide, which means with faith. So it means you're putting faith in something other than Jesus. It means you're putting your faith in something that may be a list or an idea or a popular culture thought or a topic or somebody wrote a good book about this scripture and I put my faith in their words about that scripture. This is how easily we can put our faith in our own righteousness and we can scorn everyone else. We're great at it. It's what the prideful heart does. And so as we read this, I have been begging that the Holy Spirit would continue to show me where I am putting my confidence with faith in things outside of what Christ may have asked me to do. And I'm asking the same for you. I'm asking that you'd be bold enough to ask the question of where am I boasting in my own confidence and because of that, scorning others. Jesus continues, that's who the story is for. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God. I'm not like other people. Cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give you a tenth of my income. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven. As he prayed, instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, Oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. 
I tell you this, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. The very first thing Jesus lays down for us is who needs to hear this story. And it is those who have put that confidence, they have put that faith in their righteousness. The causes I stand for, the people I speak up for, every good thing I do, I have put my trust in that. And if they aren't seeing it the way I see it, well, they're less than me. That's how quickly the Pharisee's heart can move in us. We actually find out what it means to put our confidence in our own righteousness simply by the Pharisee's prayer. He stands up front and center. Thank you, God, that I am not like other people. This Sunday is not on prayer, but I'm here to give you a free prayer tip for your prayer life. Never start your prayers comparing yourself to someone else. That's for free. That's just free. You can write that down. You can put it in your notes just for free. Not a Sunday on prayer, but don't start your prayers comparing yourself to everyone else. Guaranteed way to ruin your prayer experience. Now, I know none of you good Christian folk would pray that out loud, so we reserve it for Facebook. We post, we prod, we tweet. Maybe we don't use the internet. Maybe you justify yourself across the table from people. Well, baby, at least I'm not like your old boyfriend. Right? Like, that's, that's a gem of a keeper right there. Like... Girls, if a guy sits across from you at a table and says, at least I'm not like the, your, your, old, your old boyfriend, you need to run. <laughs> Can we just say that? Can we just say, get, while well, getting's good? Get. Or maybe you, maybe you say, well, well, at least I'm not like the guy who, oh man, that was embarrassing. Or, you know, that guy who's going to prison right now because of that thing he did? Well, I'm not like him, so therefore, whew, I'm good. And we do this to elevate ourselves. We do it. It's the natural escape for us when we're struggling with conviction or we're struggling with something in our life that may be off. We compare ourselves. We can actually do this. This is my favorite. We can actually do this whenever conviction starts to set in. You know, as we're living out maybe what's not honoring to God, we do this. We're like, at least I'm not, at least I'm not like Carl. Carl's the worst. So me, I'm not as bad as I thought. Whew. Glad I thought about Carl. I was starting to feel some conviction. Now I feel great. P.S. If your name is Carl in here, I apologize. Um, you're not the worst. Maybe you are. I don't know you. Um, but this comparison thing that we do is so destructive. When we compare ourselves with others, we actually aren't really accomplishing anything but establishing this false level of righteousness. See, when we're doing really good, we raise the standard, right? Nobody can be like me. And when we're doing really bad, we lower the standard so that, man, I just can't fit under that standard. So we just do this. We go back and forth. We raise the standard, we lower the standard. That's how we do this Christless Christianity. That's how we do it. That's how we walk. We raise the bar when we feel good about ourselves. No one can get to us or we lower the bar because we've done terrible things. And this is what Christless Christianity looks like. 
we know the Pharisee and his system. Because remember who he, he said he's not like? He said, I'm not a cheater. I'm not a sinner. I'm not an adulterer. These are the things I, I don't do. This is what I don't do. And that's what we do when we make our lists. We start going down the list of the things we don't do. And see, I often wonder about the Pharisee's prayer. Because see, here's, here's another little tip for, your, for our sinful, prideful hearts. Is we are often hardest on people who struggle with the same things we do. Do you know that? Like we can come hardcore at somebody who struggles with the thing we do, but nobody knows about yet. Like we come in on our horses because we, we don't want to say that we struggle with that very same thing. So I often wonder if the Pharisee is in the same place where he wants to say it out loud. He doesn't do these things. But we knew otherwise with some of the Pharisees that they cheated widows. They took their land from them. They took their homes from them. So we do know some things. But in our list making, we often compare ourselves to those who struggle with sins differently than us, so we'll declare those things. Cheat, I'm not a cheater, I'm not a sinner, I'm not an adulterer. These are the things I don't do. But then he says, here are the things I do. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of my income. This is the list, folks. This is how we live Christless Christianity. We say, these are the things I don't do, and these are the things I do. And we hold it up to God, and we go, God, would you please accept this list? Would you please accept this list? What Jesus has done, eh. What I have done, get a load of this resume. That's how we move. And that's what we do. This is what is so scary about how simple and how easy it is to find ourselves agreeing with the Pharisee's prayer. Here's my list, God. Me, your faithful employee. Like, I often wonder if, if God rejoices at some of these, these thoughts the Pharisee has as he begins to pray, Oh, God. And God's like, yes. He's praying. I love it when people call on my name. Thank you. Oh, good. He started with thanks. He didn't just jump into praying for the things he wanted or he needs. He started with thanksgiving that I'm not like other men. Come again. What did you just do? You came like you were going to pray and then you just exalted yourself. Do you know who you're talking to? See, often our view of God will shape our view of ourselves and who we are in the kingdom of God. Maybe we're thinking somehow, I can work my way up the corporate ladder to God, be like, God, look what I'm doing, and look at your faithful employee, and look at all that I've, I've accomplished on your behalf, and it's good, and someday I will be CEO of the kingdom. Friends, there will be no shared CEO position in the kingdom. It doesn't work that way. But if I see myself as God's faithful employee, then I'm working my way up a ladder, am I not? See, our view of ourselves and our view of God really do matter in how we walk as Christ followers. In the midst of the Pharisee's prayer, he actually looks over at the tax gatherer and says, I'm glad I'm not like him. How dangerous a prayer. And I mean not good dangerous. I mean, this is the turning point in our lives 
that can either cause us to look more like Jesus or look like those who wanted to kill Jesus. This is trouble. Because he began to scorn others. To scorn others, very simply, is to look down on them with disdain, to despise them, to see them as having no worth, that they bring nothing to the table, that God, because they are worthless, you should not have anything to do with them. Don't let them come into your presence. They have no value. That's what we're saying when we are comparing and when we are scorning others. We are saying, God, they are going to be worthless to you and they're worthless to me. This is how dangerous this is. It's to say that because they look different or you're not like them to God to say, "Uh, no value, no value there. Don't worry about them because I'm not like them. Look at me. Look what I can do. Look at all that I've accomplished. This is how quickly these destructive thoughts move in. And it's really easy to see this in others. For those of you maybe that have been in a church for a long time, you see the scripture cherry picker, the one who only pulls out the scripture that they like, and you're like, boy, I just want to pound them so bad. Or you, you see the guy who's the Bible thumper, who's hitting people with the Bible all the time. And you're like, oh, I want to pound them so bad. Or you see the one who's always going out and getting drunk. And you're like, I want to pound them so bad. You, wanna, you see the person who's sleeping around. And you're like, I want to pound them so bad. But you never see it in yourself. Right? Like, that's the hardest part. If we're honest... We got so much going on in us, we ain't got time <laughs> to be throwing stones, right? Like this is, this is how quickly the Pharisee's heart can develop in us. I've heard it said that our, when our blind spots meet our sin spots, only disaster can wait for us. See, we all have blind spots. We all have sin spots. And when they meet disaster awaits. But there were two men who were mentioned at the temple that day. What of the tax collector? And it's not a very long list. The tax gatherer stands at a distance, and that gives us a clue that he understood something about God. His eyes were to the ground And often when we're struggling with conviction or guilt, we will not look people in the eyes, correct? We look at the floor. You know, I also think that the tax collector might have had the same thought that he was not like other men. He just didn't say it out loud. I believe the tax gatherer saw his sin worse than anyone else around him. God, I am not like other men. My sin has caused separation My sin has caused this gap. My sin has broken something. And if you don't show up, and if your mercy isn't extended to me, there will be no closing of this gap. I am not like other men. I am the chief of sinners. I've heard it said of accountability that you want people around you who the only sin they hate more than yours is their own. People who aren't looking to destroy you because you messed up because they know 
their propensity, their tendency to sin the same way. It gives you a grace and a mercy and a patience with people unlike anything the world has seen. It says that he beat upon his chest. This heart right here, I've heard it described as both the fountain of separation and the fountain of life. And in this chest is housed the thing that takes me from God and the thing that points me right back to him. And the, the tax gatherer is on his, on his knees going, I know, I know the things that I'm supposed to do. I know the law. I know the things. But this thing keeps taking me away. This thing keeps causing me to be greedy. This thing keeps causing me to take extra off the top. And this thing wants to run to you. But the only way I can run to you is if there's mercy extended. Because if that doesn't happen, I'm done. The fountain of separation and the fountain of life. And they say, when a Jewish man would pray, the reason his eyes would be down is because his heart is faced towards heaven. Eyes to the ground, heart turned to heaven. I don't stand on my own strength. I can't. And if God, your mercy doesn't meet me, then the game is over. The tax collector knew something about himself, but he also knew something about God. And that is, only there he would find mercy and forgiveness. A man who knew that if anyone could and should build walls to keep sinners away, God could do that. But he did not. This tax collector knew the way home. And then Jesus shakes up the whole room I want you to consider the room of people as he, as he says these words out loud. Luke 18, 14. I tell you, I'm telling you, the sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Anger, explosions, some cheering, some rage, some hopeful, all adhering. This is the way home. The anger coming from the Pharisees going, what are you saying? I'm not enough. The hope coming from the ones who knew they weren't. This is how walls start to come down. This is how we begin to see ourselves and we begin to see others because if Jesus said these things, because we believe him firstly, things begin to change. I love that Jesus says, I tell you this. And whenever you're reading through the scripture, and I hope that you do, I hope you spend more time in the scripture rather than reading people's thoughts on the scripture. The Holy Spirit inspired the scripture. We may or may not have had Holy Spirit inspired writers that we're reading. Just to be honest, just to be clear, so if you read more about the book than you actually do read the book, there's going to be a problem. I promise you. I promise. And so when Jesus says, I tell you this, this is a chance for the crust to start coming off our heart. 
This is a chance for us to start dropping the act, start dropping the preconceived ideas. This is a chance for the Holy Spirit to go straight to us through his word. So when Jesus says, I tell you this, pay attention because who we believe matters most. Who we believe. And if I believe that Jesus is who he says he is, then he will be over what I believe. They go hand in hand. I can't say I believe Jesus and then deny all the things that he teaches us that bring us to eternal life. I can't do that. Who we believe matters most. And if you're walking in a way that would suggest you believe you the most, this is where we say, God, search me and know my heart, please. Because if there's anything in me, you have to point it out. The journey towards the Pharisee's heart is easier than you'd think. You have an eye-opening experience with the Lord. Maybe you go to a conference. Maybe you are at a sermon. Maybe you read the Bible. Maybe you read a book. Maybe you went on a mission experience. Maybe you, maybe you saw all of these things, and you're rejoicing at it. And maybe it was a come-to-Jesus moment in your own life. Maybe you were like, i got to get rid of everything that I've been doing wrong. i got to pour out this sin. i got to get these things confessed off my chest. i got to do all of these things. People, are you with me on this? And they're like, no. And you're like, come on, people, be with me on this. This is the way we all should be doing things. This is how we should do this. Everyone, come with me. We're doing this. And no one's coming, and you're like, that's it, people. What's wrong with you, people? That's where the heart change where we can either become more like Jesus or become more like those who wanted to kill Jesus. See how quickly it happens? It's almost like the, uh, I heard a story one time, the way a guy laid out what it means to be a Pharisee. And he says, imagine you have one of those big 11-foot giant, 11 by 10-foot windows that overlooks the mountains in Asheville. Just a huge window, and the view is just pristine and mountainous, and you get every season. You can see the fall colors, you can see the the spring, you can see the winter. Everything looks great through that window. Well, then you decide to have the Garris family over and their four children. And those four children begin looking out that window and going, man, that's amazing. I love this window out there. Look at this. Look at the window, guys. Look at the window. Oh, and you decided to serve peanut butter and jelly sandwiches while they were over there. So they're like, look at this window, guys. Come over here and see this window. Look out here. It's the most amazing view. And see, in your heart, you're beginning to go, get your hands off the window. Stop touching the window. Stop putting your hands on the window. You're driving me crazy. You're on your way to missing the view and only thinking about the window. See how quickly... See how quickly it happens? This is why Jesus staying central to who we are and what we do will allow us to walk, A, with our own lives because we know where to go to find mercy and grace. But B, we will walk with people who do not see eye to eye with us on a myriad of things because Jesus be center. As we close, if anyone had the right to say those people, it truly was Jesus. Jesus was the only one who could look at his righteousness and rightfully say, I'm good, they're not. 
But if I remember the scriptures, it says, while those people were still those people, Christ died for those people. That's Jason's extended version. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That means while you were in the middle of that thing that no one knows about or that you're hiding, Christ died for us. If I remember correctly, Jesus also said when they were mocking him and pointing at him and making fun of him, he said, Jesus, forgive those people because they don't know what they're doing. Jesus looked on those people and made them his people. You see, if, if we're walking with those people mentalities, we will miss the good news. See, the goal as a Christ follower is to become more like Jesus, not become more like those who wanted to kill Jesus. And oh, how quickly we can slip from either side. And you know, you know how we stay where we're supposed to? Looking at Jesus. And we journey that together. I know some of you are so like, that's just me and Jesus. It's, that's all I have. That's all I need. Well, you know what? The hard part about this is when we're on our own, we can form some really selfish thoughts about this book. We can. We really can. Some dangerous thoughts. We've seen it happen through history. Have we not? That's why the body is so important in this journey towards Jesus. So before we go to the tables and take the bread and the juice, as Christ's followers, because we believe Jesus, we will begin to care about many of the elements we find in Scripture. We will care about hurts in the world. But even seeing the hurts in the world will not sustain us as Christ's followers. Jesus sustains his people. Will there be passions for topics and things and conversations and, and talking points in the world and things that are important? Yes, there will. But when they begin to divide us, when they begin to categorize us, when we begin to be able to identify with one group over the gospel, over Jesus, then we have to be very careful. I understand some people want to get together with those that view Scripture in this way and some that view it this way and some that view topics this way and from this perspective. That's great. Have good conversations. Have, like, real dialogue, not, like, yelling at each other, but being able to hear and being able to speak. The fine art of conversation has been lost in society. Do those things. But to know that, man, the reason we're able to be so different around this table is not because we're fighting for being different. We're, we actually are looking at Jesus. Jesus was how those love feasts in the early church days baffled the world. Men, women, free, slave, barbaric, civilized, Jew, Gentile, all around the same table. Because of Jesus. See, the unity that the world wants cannot have the unity that the world wants without Jesus. The natural position of the heart is that of proud, and we want what we want. The invitation of Jesus is to reflect his heart. And his heart, when he says that the one who went home justified was the one 
who came this way finds mercy and forgiveness, if he says that, that's what I want to do. Because it's who we believe. Who we believe will determine all the other things. It'll shape us, it'll change us, and we'll walk with different ideas. But the body of Christ was meant to be this crazy mixed bag of people from all over the place. And Revelation says that it'll be from every tribe, tongue, and nation, people rejoicing that God put into plan the rescue of rebels. That's what we come around. That's good news. And so as we go to the tables this morning, I'm going to ask you to consider a few things. Have you been walking as a Pharisee? Chances are every single one of us will say yes. There are things in me that I know need to die, and I just need you, Lord, to be the one who woos me and causes me to see where those things are. Take some time to ask that. Search me and know me, God. Have you built walls based on all these little things, behaviors, ideas, concepts, other things rather than Jesus? Ask the Lord to show you those things. Because if he wants to remove them, it's to lead you to life. This is what Jesus tells us. Rather than who we believe, are you running to somebody else? Maybe the who you believe isn't Jesus. Maybe the who you believe is you. Maybe the who you believe is some speaker. Maybe the who you believe is some book. Maybe the who you believe is some author. Maybe the who you believe is some podcast. More than Jesus. This is a time to reflect and go, maybe that's what I'm doing. Can you come to the Father in need? This table, this table that we go to displays our need. This body that was given for us, this blood that was poured out for the forgiveness of sin, this is a time of declaration of, O God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And the evidence that he has is this table, the body and blood of Jesus. And so as you go to the corners of the room, go knowing that mercy and forgiveness is for the one who humbles themselves. If Jesus said it, then that's the way I want to go. If Jesus said it, then that's what I want to fight for. That's what I want to live for. So when your heart is prepared, feel free to go. Um, as Ben said, we will have some folks standing over here. I'll be here to pray. Um, but we do this together. We look at Jesus together. Father, we love you. And we ask that by your power and your strength, you'd show us. You would indeed lead us to eternal life. And all the things and the words that we're believing, the who's that we're believing in this world, rather than Jesus, you would bring to light so that you can lead us to life. It's in your name we pray.